Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. So thankful for just the truth that we sang this morning and uh, just that reminder that uh, we have a God who is working in the midst of uh, even those moments at times where we may not see it. Um, so thankful, uh, grateful to, to gather this morning and uh, worship to our great God and uh, thankful for each of you being here and just all that God has been doing uh, in our midst. And as I look around uh, our nation, it's been great to read and see and hear testimonies of what God has been doing uh, at college campuses uh, in different parts of our nation, what had uh, started at Asbury University. And uh, my understanding, there's been uh, kind of a continuous worship service that's been going for about 11 days. And, you know, as I've uh, read and as I've watched some of the different videos and different things that have been taking place there, there's a couple of things that, um, that kind of stir in my heart. One is just this um, the sense of conviction, um, just in maybe the, my own personal life. And just as I look at the hunger that, uh, these people have to be in the presence of the Lord as the hunger that, uh, that they are in, in just, uh, repentance and confession and worship, um, just personally, as I watch some of those things have been a conviction in my heart of just the, you know, I think it was Vance Havner that said the times that we live in are desperate, but the saints of God are not. Um, and that, that, that's been convicting to me along the, the journey. This morning we uh, had Amy Baumgarner who had gone and spent a couple of days or, or a day there uh, at uh, Asbury. And, and she testified a bit this morning in our early service of just her experience there. Of, uh, as they were driving, the, uh, the young lady that she had taken with her as they were uh, sharing and uh, going across uh, the mountain, uh, the young lady there uh, recognized that she had never uh, been saved, and at the Waynesville rest stop, uh, they pulled over, and she placed her faith and trust in Christ, and they headed on uh, to revival, and was just just stirred by what God is doing uh, doing there, and and she shared just testimonies of confession and repentance, and just how God uh, was uh, just evident in their midst, and I'm I'm convinced that there's nothing that we can do to manufacture a move of God, uh, but as the people of God, we should be doing all we can to be ready if He sees fit to move, and uh, we're in desperate need of revival in our land. We look around, and we see the condition of our, of our country and of uh, our city, and, and this morning, I had uh, just a time before church to be able to pray with another local pastor, and just as we prayed for churches in our community, for churches uh, in our nation, uh, just to see God move and to see uh, his power in our midst. I read in Acts 4, uh, that the church was gathered and that they prayed. And the scripture says in verse 31 that the place that they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they left proclaiming his word uh, with boldness. And, and what a blessing it would be to see churches all over our nation experience those kind of moments where, uh, where God's people left and they were proclaiming the good news of the gospel with boldness. Uh, when, when we see God at work, we see those kind of things. I, wanna, I want us to read uh, some scripture together today from Ephesians chapter 5. And you can take your copy of, of God's word and turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to read verse 15 through verse 21 and uh, then just pray together. And so I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God uh, this morning. Uh, beginning in verse 15. And these scriptures will be on the screen uh, as well. 
Beginning in verse 15, we read these words. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So, that he, so, the, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are we're so thankful, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for a hunger that we're seeing in a generation of young people in different uh, universities across uh, our country. Uh, God, we're thankful for, uh, God, the, the hunger that you're stirring in some of your people, Lord, that, uh, that we might desire, uh, Lord, to just surrender all of ourselves to all of who you are, God, and that you might use us on mission for the glory of your name. God, we pray for uh, Asbury and for uh, other college campuses, Lord, where revival has uh, seemed to have broken out in those places, Lord, where there's a hunger and there's confession and there's repentance. And Lord, just a desire, uh, Lord, to turn away from sin and to turn to you and experience uh, you in your fullness, God. And we uh, we pray, God, that you would continue to work in those places, Lord. We pray that you would continue to uh, to work in uh, a generation of young people that we might see an authentic revival spread across our nation, Lord, that might uh, cause uh, everything to be different, Lord. We, we need a work that only you can do, God. And I pray that as we uh, just lean into your word this morning, God, as we just worship together, God, that you would do a work in each of us, God. We know there's so many circumstances, so many different situations that come into this room, Lord, and we, we recognize that God, in all those, Lord, we are desperate for you, Lord, and we need a, a touch from you, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would have your will and your way in every life. And, Lord, that we might leave here changed, God, not because of uh, my words, but because of the power of your word and the power of your spirit, God, as you, uh, as you engage, uh, convict, and, God, as you work among us, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. You know, this uh, past week, this passage resonated a bit uh, with my heart. And as I had uh, been looking toward this passage on last Friday, we were coming back from uh, the, the track meet that my daughter was a part of. And we were riding back. And uh, I guess they ran so fast that it hurt my leg. And so we were, I don't know how that works exactly, but we were riding back. And I was just kind of sitting in the uh, in the passenger seat of the car, Sherry and I had been taking turns driving, and it was my turn to just kick back and relax. And all of a sudden, my foot just started having this sharp pain uh, in the heel. I told her, I was like, I don't know what's going on with my foot. I'm going to have to take my shoe off. So I, I was kind of, you know, figuring out what was going on there. And then Saturday and Sunday, uh, you, you know, you could feel it, but it wasn't, you know, terribly bad. Monday, by the end of the day, uh, it was kind of this weird dynamic where I was having trouble uh, just finding the, the strength to walk on that foot and trying to, to do that. It kind of swelled up pretty big. And by Tuesday morning when I got up, uh, it, was, it was very difficult for me to even put any pressure at all on it. And so I told Sherry, I was like, you know, I got some crutches down there. Maybe I'll try those. She said, maybe you should try the doctor. <laughs> she said, maybe that'd be good. 
And so I, I went to the urgent care here in town and uh, they, they did an x-ray on my foot and looked at it. And, and the, the kind lady, she was so, so gracious there, but she looked at the x-ray and they sent the x-ray, I guess, to whoever reads it. And they sent it back and said, x-ray looks okay. And then she comes in and she says, well, I got a report on your x-ray. And she said, it, it came back clear, you know, from them. But she said, I see this one spot and I think your Achilles heel may be detaching. And I thought, this is probably not the news I was hoping for. And she says, you need to go to ortho to figure out what's going on. Well, the crutches seemed like a good idea at that point because I was thinking, I don't want to do any more damage. And so I took it easy for a couple of days, got in on Friday, the ortho checked it out. And, and like anything, now, now when the lady's doing my x-ray, and everybody wants to know when you're limping and hobbling and swelled up, they're like, what did you do? Last time it was like, I fell off the trampoline. I went through the net. I had like some kind of big story. Maybe it was jujitsu. Maybe there's something awesome. And I'm like, you know, I was just riding in a car. That's it. That's it. That's it. She says, well, sir, what's your birthday? I said, that's the problem. That's the problem. I'm figuring this thing out. And so uh, the doctor looked at it. The ortho guy checks it out. And he's like, hey, man, nothing to uh, get too alarmed about. Uh, I think, if, you know, it's getting a little better. I definitely see this spot that she was concerned about in the x-ray. That's definitely not an indication. Your Achilles is tearing and all those things. And I'm like, man, this is good news. Feeling much better. But here's the thing is I'm thinking about this passage where there's this call that we might be careful how we walk. And as I was thinking about that, and uh, I, I kind of had a whole different uh, sermon title and a whole different direction as I was going into this week, and I was, I was thinking about the spirit-filled home that we might have, and we'll lean into some of that. Uh, but as I uh, was thinking about that, and this mo- in the morning, really in the middle of the night, I woke up with these words on my heart, and it was just these words, the, the power to walk. And I wonder in the midst of this, like in the midst of this little injury, this little thing that was going on with my heel, somehow I lacked the power to walk. Now, when I was uh, getting examined, right, it's not that we, that I didn't have the power, like my muscles are there, the things that are there, but something was going on in my heel that when I would try to step and when I would try to do anything, it seemed like I had lost uh, and that I lacked the power to walk. And as I look at this way that we are, are living, as I look at this current culture that we're living in, as I look at the church, I wonder if some of the troubles that we're having uh, in the midst of this generation is because the church has gotten to a place that somehow we lack the power to walk, right? That somehow there's something missing, or maybe there's something uh, going on in our lives. Maybe there's a sin that we're holding on to. Maybe there's something that is separating us uh, from the power of God to really be able to walk in uh, in victory, right? And to really be able to experience what God uh, would have his church look like. And, and as we open this passage, I'm reminded that Jesus had these three relationships. We talked about them early in this Abundant Life sermon series. And, and we, we recognize that Jesus had a relationship with his father, that he had a relationship with his disciples, and that he had relationships with people that don't know Jesus at all. And and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be people who are light, right? And in this chapter, we would read uh, about how Jesus would call us. And in in verse two of Ephesians five, we would see this command that we would walk in love. We would see in verse eight in this chapter, this command that we might walk in the light. It says, you are children of the light. You used to be, right? And and this is the thing that we've got to recognize as as a church. We used to walk in Darkness, you know, we sung this morning, oh, but God, right? We, we used to walk in darkness, but now we are children of the light. And so therefore walk as children of the light. We walk in that. And as we look at these verses today, 
we see in verse 15 that God calls his people to walk carefully. Look at verse 15. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, there's an idea of precision. There's an idea of accuracy in the way that we walk, that we would watch our walk. I was having to do that uh, this week. But, but this points to being mindful, right? Because we recognize there's an enemy that roams about, the scripture says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so as we engage in the midst of this world, we want to watch our walk. We want to be careful as we walk because there's an enemy that would love nothing more than to steal, kill, and to destroy. For those of you, uh, th- this generation that's, that's growing up, a group of, of young people, there's nothing more that the enemy would love to do than to steal your testimony. There's nothing more that he would love to do is to cause you to, to conform to this culture. But the scripture would tell us not to be conformed to this world. Don't allow this world to press you into its mold, but to be transformed, right? To be rene- by the renewing of our mind, that we, would, that we would walk carefully, that we would recognize those things. And here's the thing, we gotta be careful because our flesh is driving so many things. The way that we are walking, we, we so many times are walking as unwise, right? He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise. Uh, the unwise people, they're driven by their flesh. There's this desire that people have to satisfy themselves. And so the world would tell you that whatever feels good is okay. And, and that, that if it's the most amount of pleasure for the least amount of pain, pain uh, that there's this thought that you can do whatever you uh, desire, right? There's a, a young generation that's growing up in what we would call a hookup culture. There's a peer pressure uh, that is around uh, to be involved in all kind of things. But what I want to encourage you today is that, is a, that this generation would walk carefully, that you would protect, that you would live uh, in, in a way that you would be protecting your witness, right? That you, would, that, that you would live and you would honor that, right? When we think about single people, there's a, maybe a, a friend group that is around you. And I've heard it said that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, the five people that are closest to you, if you give me your phone and I look at that and I see the five people that you interact with most and I see the five people that you walk together the closest with, I can see so much about what's going to happen in your life. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, bad company corrupts good morals. We see that. Who are you allowing in your life, right? We see this call that we would go into the world Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer. He said, Father, I don't pray that you would take them out of this world, but that you would sanctify them in the truth, that, that your word is truth. And, and listen, young people, it's not how much you can be protected from the world. We want to protect them. We want to do everything to stand for what's right and to stand for what's true and to be a fortress of righteousness around this generation. But if they are in this world, they will experience all of the, the, the temptations, the things that are there. And it's not so much how much we can protect them from the world, but how much they know the truth, how much they've been in impacted by Jesus. And so there's this, this call for you young people to make decisions now. Daniel, that we read in Daniel 1.8, that Daniel had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's diet, that there was a time before he got in Babylon that he had resolved and said, you know what? I serve the one true God and only him. And I won't bow down to idols. I'm going to walk in integrity. We need to be those kind of people. We need to protect our witness, married people. Last week, we talked about this abundant marriage. We need to protect 
our marriage. The enemy is working and working to destroy homes. It is this, this core unit of the family. And we need, to con- we need to protect our marriage. We need to protect our witness because here's the deal. The world is watching and they should see something different from the people of God. They should see something different in our midst. Uh, there are several things that we can do, right, to protect those things. There are several things that, that I would encourage you to do. We've adopted as, as a family, uh, Sherry and I, this kind of Billy Graham rule, right, where we say, hey, uh, we made decisions a long time ago that we were not going to go out and eat uh, lunch with a member of the opposite sex of ourselves, that we would not be uh, riding in a car uh, with another female, that, that we would uh, have these boundaries that were in our life because we want to guard the gift that God has given us, right? We want to be in those kind of places. Places. We want to be people that, uh, you know, we, we live in a, a culture where the common thing that we hear in, in a workplace is bad things about our spouse, right? And, and these are, that's not, this is not we were those things. We should be having an honoring culture where when you go to work, you're saying good things about your spouse. You're, you're, you're engaging in this conversation that is honorable and you're, you're careful and even transactional with conversation with members of the opposite sex, that there's this protection that you have up because some of us, we think that we're stronger than we are, but I'm reminded that the scripture would tell us that David was a man that was after God's own heart and we found him committing adultery and murder. And we see those kind of things. And we've got to be a people who will say, you know what, I'm going to guard the gift that God has given me. Uh, Another thing that, that I would encourage you to do in protection of your marriage is that you would have a level of transparency, right? My wife can pick up my phone. There is no, uh, passwords that are protected. There is no, uh, and our students' phones, by the way, are the same way. We have a culture of, of transparency. There's not going to be any secrets in those, uh, in those kind of things, right? That there would be access to that. There's accountability software that's on my phone that my wife gets a report of every day that says every website that I've been on, that says the amount of time that I've been on social media, the things that I've watched on YouTube, the things that are there, because listen, I understand that, that Satan is, raw, is, is walking about like a roaring lion and he's seeking whom he may devour, those that are isolated, those that aren't insulated, those that don't have accountability in their life with other believers, those that uh, are, are laying those things on. So, so we walk in, uh, in these, these relationships with other believers. We have uh, men around us that we can be accountable to. We have, if you're, you're a female, you have women that are around you. And so we want to watch our walk. We want to watch it, but we also want to continue to walk. We don't want to be idle in the midst. And what we see in this next verse is there's an intentionality about it. Look at verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. We want to be people that see opportunities and seize them. We want to be people that don't just let time go by, that don't just waste away the time. If you're single in this room, you've been given a gift of undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ is what the apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 7, that that you you can focus in greater ways uh, and use that gifting, right? We saw Kelly and Ethan share their testimony via video last week and, and how God had used that gift of singleness. Amy Bumgarner, who testified in our first service today, uh, took a young uh, friend of hers uh, to Asbury and on the way there led her to Christ. And she is in a season of singleness. But instead of wasting it away, she said, who is it that I could mentor? Who is it that I could invest my time in? And how could I serve Jesus for the glory of his 
name. We want to be people who are making disciples, not being busy just to be busy, but we want to be busy being a difference maker for the kingdom of God. This is who God wants us to be. And this text causes us to look and to ruthlessly look at our lives and to say, what are the things that are wasting our time? What are the things that, that we need just to get rid of in our life so that we can prioritize the things that matter? Now, if you're married, we want to be intentional. Now, Paul said it, it, there's, there's benefit in being single because if you're married, you're going to have to pay attention to your wife, right? You're going to have to pay attention. And, and God wants it that way. It's a beautiful display of the gospel when we do that. And so I want to encourage you, right, to use your time to be intentional in your family. If you're married, pray with your spouse. Did, did you know that, that there's statistics that say that there's less than 1% uh, divorce rate among people, among husband and wife who pray together daily or, or very regularly? It's hard to be mad at somebody if you've been praying with them. It's hard to approach the very throne of heaven and remember the grace of God that's been extended to you and the, and the blood that's shed that has given you access to the throne of heaven. It's hard to be in that kind of spot and be mad at your wife. It's, it's hard to be in that kind of spot and, and, and not engage well. So pray together. Read your Bible together. Read a book, listen to a podcast, or watch Right Now Media together. I want to I encourage you, if you have not downloaded Right Now Media, I'm going to put a, uh, I'm actually not going to do it. These awesome guys in the back are going to do it. Um, we're thankful for them. But yeah, there's a, Right Now Media, our church um, buys this and gives it as a gift to our congregation. And so you can feel free to take your phone out and shoot the QR code, but there are thousands of Bible studies. There are hundreds of studies that are on marriage. And what I find out is that my wife is listening to those all the time, that she's listening to focus on the family all the time, that she has a heart uh, to engage in, in just things that can enrich our marriage. And I'm better for it. When I'm doing premarital counseling, when I'm walking through those things, I'm hearing how God intends for our marriage to be, how God intends for our families uh, to operate. And when we walk according to God's plan, we experience abundant life. So we want to be engaged in those things. There's so many tools out there. Like we can listen to the scripture as we ride to work and, and eat our breakfast, right? It, it, we got, our phones will read the Bible to us, right? There's no excuse, right, for us not to be involved in those things. Date regularly. Now, Cowie date night, right? We, we've got a, a, a little picture there uh, that you'll see of uh, some of our oldest uh, members in the congregation. That's uh, Jack and Bobby Dealer. Miss Judy uh, sent me a picture of them. He was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago. And I think the title of the Cowie date night picture said, when your honey bun brings you a honey bun, right? And so... But right there's a joy, and we want to keep dating, right? Because we want to pursue our spouse. When we read in the, in the scriptures that a husband, for this reason, will leave his father and mother, he will cleave into his wife, and they will become one flesh. And there's this continued pursuit in there. We want to date regularly. We want to celebrate the victories that our, that, that our families are experiencing together. And we want to do stuff together. We want to share time together, shared activities, things that we do. Because here's what happens when we look at, at affairs and when we look at difficulties that marriages experience, it, they don't just accelerate to that in a moment. Many times what we experience and what we see is things begin with an emotional connection. It begins with this lack of emotional connection at home, maybe with our spouse, and it begins with, with uh, somebody at work of the opposite sex beginning to talk and beginning to, uh, to share things, beginning to, to experience those kind of things. And, and there's this emotional disconnect and somebody else pays attention and people find themselves in a place that they never 
thought they would be. And, and there's this statistics that, and there's this explanation really scientifically of this magnetism that can happen when there's someone new and there's someone fresh in the way that we are wired. And so we've got to guard ourselves in those places, right? Express gratitude to one another. Number eight, know their love language. If you're following along in the app, all these are listed there uh, as well as the links to get to them. But know their love language, right? You, you can go to fivelovelanguages.com. They even got an app for that. Um, and, and you can download it. And, and it's got like a love language meter on there. Seriously, you can, you can get on there, you share it with your spouse. And, and it's got like, how's your love tank, right? It's like this. I know, right? How's your love tank? It's good. Yeah. All right. So and what we learned, though, what we learned and what Gary Chapman learned is that when a husband and wife interact with one another, that a lot of times we love the way that we love. So there's, there's different love languages. There's like words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, acts of service, gifts, uh, quality time, uh, those kind of things. When we took this test, I re- recognized that Sherry was an acts of service person at that time. And what had happened, I was uh, bivocational at that time and I was getting up about three or four in the morning and I was going to work and I wasn't getting home until super late at night. And she had little kids. And so we had little kids, they were both our, but we had little kids (laughs) and I was gone and I was thinking, man, I'm killing it. Like I'm out, I'm out at 3 a.m. Like I'm, I'm killing it because I'm provider, protector. This is what I'm supposed to do. And here she was at home and she's like getting the kids together and she's like getting them out to school. I had no idea all the stuff that it took to do that because I was never there. And so when, uh, when my job transitioned and when I went full-time here, all of a sudden I could recognize. And so there was this acts of service. So what my job became then was to get up and serve my family. So I would get up super early. I was used to it anyway. I'm making smoothies. I'm packing lunches. I'm getting the kids ready. And we're all kind of doing that. And Sherry just had to worry about herself. And all of a sudden her love tank is full, right? That is... Yeah, and when their love tank's full, guys, that's good news, right, for us. And so, uh, but then I learned over time, right, that once, once I was doing some of those things, it kind of shifted, right, and, and it became quality time because uh, with seminary and just a lot of things, I was never, I was there some, and, and I might be there in the morning, but we just really didn't have that quality time together. So it was important for me to know how to love her because as her husband, I've been called to love her sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And so unless I know her, her ways and what she feels, I can't do that as effectively. So check that out. Learn those kind of things. Know it. Um, number nine, go to bed together, right? It's, been, it, it's so beneficial just to spend that time together, right? And a lot of times we lay in bed and we just look at our phones for hours, right? But it's, you can have conversation. It's, it's crazy. Read 1 Corinthians 7 and just, yeah, you can get your own gleaning from that. But be on mission. Serve together. Engage together. Look for these opportunities, right? Psalm 90 verse 12 was a scripture that impacted my life greatly. And the scripture says that, uh, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. We want to look for opportunities, right? We want to look for these things. And in my relationships, teach me, Lord, to number my days. I'm blessed and fortunate to have the blessing of being with some families in some of the latter stages of their life and spending time with them in their final weeks and months. And there's something that every single time uh, stirs my heart. And it's true in every situation. When it gets down to the end of life, the only things that matter are relationships. You don't care about how much you've accumulated. You don't care about anything but relationships, your relationship with God, your relationships with your family. And, uh, you know, as I think about that passage and, and, and the lives that we live, 
I don't know about you, but I function well with deadlines. Like my, the way I function best is when something's coming up, right? Sunday's coming, Saturday night, I'm efficient, right? Saturday night, I'm leaning in. Sunday morning, I'm leaning in even more. When I was in seminary, hey, it, paper's due on midnight on Sunday, my best work is 11 o'clock that night, right? I'm I may be working on it leading up to it, but when there's a deadline approaching, there's an urgency and there's a focus and there's a desire that I press into the things that matter because the deadline is approaching. And what I think the scripture would teach us and what I think God would impress on us is that the deadline is approaching. And for the church, the deadline is approaching. There are people that God has allowed in your circle of influence that don't know Jesus, people that are far from God. And we see Jesus encounter those people and engage those people with the good news of the gospel, right? And we must recognize that there's a deadline approaching and we don't know when that deadline for us will be. The time that we'll take our last breath here, the time they'll take their last breath here, the time that Jesus will return. But what we know is that we are to make the most of the moments that we have, that we're to take advantage of every opportunity. There's an engagement and an intentionality in our lives. One translation would say that we are redeeming the time. We are buying it back. We are making the most of it. And I wonder in our lives, what does it look like if we knew, if you heard the news today that you had six months to live or even less, that you had 30 days to live, how would your life be different? How would it be that you would change? What things would be important to you? What things would no longer be important to you? And I wonder, are we doing all that we can with all the time that we have? Are we using every moment for the glory of his name? And instead of having this scrolling by the world mindset where we are mindlessly just trying to make the days go by, what if we are mindfully engaging on mission, making the most of every single day? God doesn't only desire us to walk carefully, but he desires that and he calls his people to walk scripturally. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 17. He says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Can I remind you this morning that God's will is found in God's word. So many times people say, you know what? I wish I knew what God's will is for my life. And most of the time we're talking about the next step with a job. We're talking about the next step with something else. But I want you to understand God has revealed his word to us and, and, and our focus, right? We, we need to be focusing on obeying his revealed will to us in his word. And yes, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we want to pray and we want to walk and be directed uh, in, in decisions that we make and all those things there. But God's will is found in his word. And many times he says, don't be foolish, right? And, and this foolish could mean just ignorance. If we don't know, then we don't obey. If we don't, and, and really the reality is that just knowing is not enough either. Sometimes we read just for knowledge. We read and we can, we can have theological debates and we can, we can talk about all these things and we read and we put this information in us, but knowing is not enough. We must submit to the will of God in our lives. We must submit to the word of God. Where, and what we see in these revivals and what we see in revivals of history is where people would recognize and they would look at the word of God and they would look at their lives and they would say, God, there is something that's not lining up right here. And I confess that and I repent of that and I desire to come into obedience with you. I desire my life to be lined up with your will. He calls us to walk carefully. He calls us to walk scripturally. And we hear those things and they resonate in my heart. They, they resonate in my, my mind. God, I want to I walk scripturally as a dad. Lord, I want to 
I want to lead my kids in a way that honors you. God, I want to, I want to walk scripturally as a husband, right? I want, to, I want to follow the things that we talked about last week in the end part of Ephesians 5. I want to live that way. God, I want to, I want to be a good pastor, Lord. I want to do all those things. And, and as we experience th- these thoughts, we, many times we say, hey, I'm going to try. And, and my message this morning is not somehow to hear this and, and leave here trying harder than you have before. But, but the message this morning is that the reality is that none of us can do this in our own strength strength, that there's none of us that can walk in this in our own power. There's none of us that can do that. But here's the good news, right? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and he walked perfectly. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He walked in love. He walked and was light. He walked in wisdom. He did all those things perfectly. And the Bible would tell us that Jesus would, would, before he goes to the cross, that he would lean into this moment with his disciples and he would look at them and he would say, I know that we've walked all this time together. I know that, that we've been in fellowship together and you've been part of my inner circle and we've prayed together and we've done all these things. But he said, it is expedient, it is beneficial, it is good that I go away. And can you imagine their hearts as they would hear that? Jesus said, it is better that I go away because if I go away, he said, I'm going to send a comforter. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and, and instead of us saying, hey, Jesus, I hope you come to Cowie this morning. Maybe next week you can go to Liberty. But I want you to be here because we want to experience your presence and we want to experience your glory and we want to experience your greatness. The reality is that the Bible says that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live and he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. Romans 8 11 says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. And I want you to hear this this morning church and, and there is no reason. Listen, we have been given, we've been blessed, the scripture would say with every spiritual blessing in heaven places, current tense, present tense. In the book of Ephesians, we read those things. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And the characteristic of most Christians' lives is a life that is limping along and, and a life that is, that is separated from the power and the presence of God. A life that's not demonstrating what it looks like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We say often here that the life of a Jesus follower is not simply us living for Jesus, but Jesus living his life in and through us and that we might experience victory. We might experience power, right? And and we read this passage and we see God not only calls his people to walk scripturally, but he calls us to walk spiritually. Look at verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. And what we read in this passage is that the will of God is that the people of God would be filled with the Spirit of God. That we would be controlled by His Spirit. We read of people being filled with anger. We read some of the same wording in Luke 4, 28, people that were filled with rage. We read in in Acts 13, people that were filled with envy. They were controlled by that. And this word, this is God's command. It's this, this thought of making full. When we think about abundant life, it is this abounding presence of the Spirit of God in us, filled to the brim so that there is nothing else wanting, right? So many times in marriage, we're trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in our spouse. We're trying to find satisfaction from other people in this world. 
and it will always come up short. But he has, he has wired us and designed us that we might be filled with his spirit and that we might be satisfied in him. And this word in the Greek, it carries this idea of be being filled. It is this present tense reality that God desires that his people would be walking, being filled with the spirit of God all the time, right? This continual basis, it's this present tense command. And in that present tense command, it causes us to ask that question. Are you filled with the Spirit of God in your life? Are you walking in the power of the Spirit of God in your life? Maybe another way to word it, has there ever been a time in your life where you've been closer to Jesus than you are right now? Because we have access. We've been gifted with the Spirit of God. When we are saved, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it, it means, when, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it means that I belong to the body of Christ. That I've been sealed with His Spirit, that I belong to the body of Christ. And when we are filled with the Spirit, it says that my body belongs to him in every way. And I submit to his will. I submit to his authority. I go where he tells me. I refuse to quench the spirit of God in my life. When he says to go and witness, I go and witness. When he uh, calls me, whatever uh, he calls me to do, I do. Adrian Rogers said it this way. He said, it's one thing for you to have the Holy Spirit, but it's quite another thing for the Holy Spirit to have you. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into you. He is then resident. But when you are filled with the spirit of God, he becomes president. It is one thing for the Holy Spirit to abide. It is quite another thing for him to preside, for him to have control of our life, for him to be preeminent. We, we see in this passage, and sometimes we get hung more up on do not be drunk with wine, wherein is in excess, and we, we recognize that, that believers have no place in being drunk, and we, we see those kind of things. But the point of this passage is that the sin that, that Paul is referring to is this fact that we are not walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God, that we are not filled and dominated by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And many of us, we, uh, we've had a time where somebody's invited us into their home, where somebody, maybe we have hosted some people at our home, and we've said, hey, we want you to come, and we want you to, to live with us for uh, this weekend, and you come, and, and when they come, if you're a good hostess or good host, you probably spend some time with them, and you talk to them a little bit, and you say, hey, me casa, they say, you casa, right? Hey, my house, your house. You make yourself at home. You come in and, and then you take them. Here's what you do. You take them to a certain room over here on the side. And it's the guest room. And those people that are your guests that you said my house is your house. You put them in the, in the guest bedroom. And then you go to work the next day. And you say hey here's the kitchen. Here's all the stuff in the fridge you need. My home is your home. You, you take up whatever you want. And then if you come home from work the next day and they're in your bedroom and they got your desk drawers open and they got your W-2s laid out and they got all your things laid out, there's a part of you that says, hey, wait just a minute. Um, that ain't any of your business right there. That, that part of the house, that wasn't what I meant when I said my house is your house. I, that part of the house was reserved for me. And I'm convinced that followers of Jesus Christ, that we've said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here like I'm surrendering my life to you. I desire that you would be the Lord of my life. And we said, here's a guest bedroom over here you can hang out in. But when it comes to this area of my life, you just stay over there where I place you. And I'll get you out on Sunday morning and we'll go to church. But when it comes to my dating life, 
Like, you need to stay over there in that bedroom because I've got another place uh, that, that I'm going to walk. I've got another place. My, and, and here's the thing. These things, this, this sin, these pet sins, the things that we hold on to, these, these places that we want to just continue to hold on to, they're, they're like this place in my heel. The power is there, the muscles, all the things that are there, but somehow there's a lack of power in the midst. And I believe sin is short-circuiting the power of God in the midst of the church. I believe that, that in the lives of believers, we've got to be in a place where if we want to see God move, if we really want to see a revival among uh, this church, among ourselves, we've got to be in a place where we say, God, everything I have. Is yours. My house is your house. It's not just this bedroom over here. It's not just, God, you have access to everything. Search me and know me, oh God, and try my anxious heart. And if there be any wicked way in me, God, reveal it to me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. In these revivals, you see people that are recognizing, Lord, I'm missing it in this area of my life. Lord, I'm, I'm off here and I see it and I confess it and I desire that you might eradicate that sin from my life. Lord, I recognize that I can't do this in my own strength, but in the power of your spirit, there's nothing that you can't do. And God, I surrender everything to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We come to faith in Christ through repentance and faith. We, we believe the gospel and we trust in Jesus Christ. We turn from our sin, right? And, and repentance is required to be saved. It's evidence, right, of our salvation. We see that repentance. But I want to remind you as followers of Jesus Christ that repentance is also required because you are saved. And when you look to the cross and you know what Christ has done for you. I look at those students that are at Asbury and other places around the nation. And there's a hunger and there's a desire for the presence of God in their life. But I want to tell you something, it doesn't come without cost. It doesn't come without a price. It doesn't come without repentance. It doesn't come without this heartfelt worship to God. I don't have time to break the rest of this passage down, but in the verses to follow, you would see that there's evidence of this feeling of the Spirit of God in their life. And, and in that evidence, they were, they were singing and making melody, and they were, they were these, singing these songs and these spiritual songs. We read these things. But then there's a, a part where it says that they're making melody with their heart to the Lord. And this morning we stood and we sang with our lips. But the worship that God desires from us is worship that is making a melody with our heart. The instrument that every one of us that plays that is the greatest instrument in the sound of heaven is when we are worshiping with a heart that has been abandoned to him. A heart that is pure because not because of anything we've done but because of what Christ has done. And we come in awe of his glory and awe of his power in all of his beauty. And we say, God, I desire more of you in my life. God, I, I desire that you would take up residence in, in every part of me. Lord, I surrender everything to you and I worship you with all of my heart.